Have you ever had a problem with a leaky kayak? Boy, do we have just the tip for you. Fox condoms. Very stretchy. Much strong. What do you need to put on before you enter the gate? Fox condoms. What's the best way to ensure your cockpit is worthy for semen? The or see women. Fox condoms. What's the perfect thing to use when your dad's watching on, commentating on your progress as you reach ultimate glory? Fox condoms. Use them at the village. Use them at home. Definitely strong enough for activities. Doesn't matter if you come first or third. Fox condoms will always do the trick. It gives the carbon a smooth finish. Fox condoms. There's no problem you can't solve with this prophylactic. Comes in clear bronze and gold. Fox condoms. This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, the AFL heads into the last week of the home and away season. We look at some of the massive off-season transactions in the NBA. The Indian cricket team briefly trial a new captain. And Everton give us one of the worst media releases in recent years. They sure do. Let's go. It's 9pm on Tuesday, the 17th of August, 2021, Western Australia Standard Time. As we do at the top every week, Shuey, walk all your attention and what'd you miss? Well, aside from seeing a beautifully placed bit of paper that says, it sucks, but sport can be tough, Stewie the sport blokes from, from last week's episode. Very well placed, uh, I must say. <laughs> That's my girlfriend. A, she's done well. Yeah, well, the disappointing thing was she was like, oh, a bit from the show gave me a, a laugh last week, and I was hoping it was something I said, but no, it was something you said. <laughs> oh, well, look, you know, what can I say? Yeah, you are the funny one. Oh, calm down. Easy, easy tiger. <laughs> now, look, a few things from the last week, actually. From J.R. Smith wanting to go back to North Carolina A&T to play NCAA golf, to a breakaway Super League that could potentially destroy college football, to Roger Federer pulling out of the US Open with a knee injury, kind of have to assume he's officially done. Time will tell, not, I guess. It's not looking great. Yeah. But uh, the big ones for me. Firstly, how about the efforts of Trent Standen over the weekend? He kicked 30 goals 12 for the Oha Football Club. <laughs> to lead them to a 46 goals, 26, 302 win <laughs> over Richmond's two goals, 416. Not a great weekend for Richmond, as it turns out, no, entirely. No. Uh, and aside from single-handedly beating a team 192 to 16. That's ridiculous. Stanton started the game, the last game of the season, on 71 goals. Now, for those of you out there who aren't particularly good at maths, that gave him 101 for the season. Yeah, that's that's really good. He probably went into that thinking, oh, yeah, if I can get 80, I'll be pretty happy. You yeah, know? yeah. stoked. But, geez, 30 goals. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's, that's outrageous. Secondly, a hilarious letter from a, I believe it's Naira Asiedu from Ghana to Lionel Messi. <laughs> so, dear Lionel Messi, my daddy has been sad for some days now. I asked him and he said, you have left FC Barcelona. I see him pay DSTV to watch you play. He is saying he won't pay again because you have left. I can't watch cartoons again because he won't pay. Why did you leave? Please don't go so I can watch cartoons. <laughs> I want my cartoons back, Mr. Lionel Messi. Thank you, Naira Asiedu. Uh, the crusher of dreams. Sometimes sports really are bigger than life. Oh, man. it's classic. Honestly. It's classic. Do you know, speaking of, that reminds me, when I was a little kid, I was pissed off that ABC was showing the golf and therefore my cartoons went on or my children's shows went on. So my parents helped me write a letter to the ABC saying (laughs) that they shouldn't show the golf. Did you sign it from from Naira? No, they signed it from me. But like they wrote back and they gave me all these ABC stickers and stuff. So there you go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They gave you a dollar worth of merchandise. They bought me off. 
I bet it worked though, didn't it? Oh, of course it did. Of course it did. Yeah. Stickers. <laughs> Still would probably rather watch play school than golf. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> Poor golf. The other thing though, Jimmy Anderson became the first test player ever to have five wicket hauls 18 years apart after he took five for 62 against India at Lords. There's talk that he's actually getting better with age, all of it coming out of England, obviously. Yeah, of course. And, and obviously only when he bowls in England. But uh, I tell you what, not all positive for the English. Very, very quick to throw stones at us over the sandpaper gate incident. But I wonder how chirpy they'll be now that they've blatantly tampered with the ball. Well, we've said a number of times, losing glass houses. And people like Michael Vaughan and Michael Atherton, people that have been stung before. I mean, let's face it, though. It's not as bad as sandpapering the ball. It's not even close. I mean, we barely even started sandpapering. Yeah, but the intent And they are blatantly stepping on the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not excusing it. It's not a good look. Yeah. But uh, look, I guess it takes a bit of tampering to get rid of Java at the top of the order. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a hard wicket to claim. <laughs> so people who somehow managed to miss this, a bloke with Java 69 written on the back of his jumper who just looked like an ordinary English bloke has walked out onto with the field. With a decent beer gut. It's got a decent, decent gut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's walked out and started pointing to different field positions. <laughs> trying, trying, it was trying, so good. Trying to set the Indian field up. It was, uh, it was brilliant. And, <laughs> and they, they've walked out to send him off and he's just pointed at the logo. Yeah, and thought, yeah. I'm, I'm playing for India, mate. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I, I saw he, I, on Twitter, he, said, he put some pictures up and said he was the first white Indian cricket player ever. Well, you'd have to go back through the the hours of, of, yeah, it'd be very interesting. That actually, though, reminded me of a kind of funny story from when we used to play junior basketball together. Okay. There was a a gentleman that played on our team by the name of Matthew Jarvis. Rest in peace, Jarvo. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, there was was something that you and him used to compete for (laughs) every time we would have basketball training. What was that name? Well, uh, because let's set the context here. We were like 12 or something. So, yeah. you know, we weren't you, you kept, very old. You kept going until we were like 16. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, 15 probably. Yeah, but um, so what we used to do is get things called shot gets. So there were rebounds if the shot missed, but if the shot scored and went through the net, if you grabbed it before it hit the ground, it was a shot get. And we used to count our shot gets. i got to say, though, it made me a better rebounder. I guarantee it made me a better rebound. There you go. So, yeah. So it's not always conventional. Yeah, chasing those shot gets like Dennis Rodman. That's it. Now, just quickly before I hand over to you, Nath, we've got to just quickly mention, ha, 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 how good was it seeing India running through the English batting lineup overnight? Oh, I don't, I, can they just draw all of them? I don't know who I want to win that series, oh, to be honest. I think considering we're going to be playing England fairly soon. Yeah, yeah, fair. The, fair. the more between the, their legs, their tails are, the better. Javo was definitely my favourite thing of the whole thing. And I can't remember who the Indian player was, but one of the Indian players was absolutely pissing himself. Yeah, oh, he was. Challenge. He thought it was the funniest thing ever. It was, it was so brilliant. funny. It was great. It was brilliant. So how about yourself, Nath? What caught your attention this week? Well, I thought I'd give a bit of a baseball-themed what caught my attention this week, given the Field of Dreams game. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I did see that. Quite remarkable. So the players walked out from a cornfield in Iowa into this baseball field that had been created, much like Field of Dreams, the movie. And funnily enough, we only talked about it a few weeks ago on Blokes Banter. But Kevin Costner even read this rousing speech in character. So he was even there involved in it, and it was a roaring success to the point where the game was won on a walk-off homer. So you couldn't have scripted a better finish. It almost makes me want to see the movie now. But you have to now. Absolutely. But anyway, a few other random Major League Baseball stats while we're on there. First, I've got to mention Shohei Otani is still absolutely tearing the league apart. He's the first player in Major League Baseball history with 37 homers and 15 stolen bases before the end of July. Wow. 
The Yankees and Royals had the first game in Major League Baseball history where both teams scored in the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th innings. Wow, that's surprising. That's never happened. Yeah, yep. There were 10 players who made the All-Star game this year who were traded this season. What? The most ever, according to ESPN Stats and Info. And then finally, at the end of July, there was a match between the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers. The Twins became the first team in history to out-homer their opponents by seven and lose. And of course, conversely, the Tigers became the first team to be out-homered by seven and win. I, I don't know what to make of that. This season in Major League Baseball, and look, I don't follow it closely, but I watch Sports Center and look at stuff on Twitter. There's been so many weird random stats this year. It's not funny. Yeah, that is crazy. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I'm really disappointed to have actually missed the Hawks taking down the Western Bulldogs over the weekend. I always struggle getting up for those early Saturday games, especially when I've done a, an evening shift the night before at work. Look, we'll talk a little bit more later about the proverbial cats amongst the pigeons that have been going on around this this top four and well, really the entire top eight. But yeah, geez, what a classic win by Clarko and the Hawks. And geez, Hawthorne aren't finishing this season too badly, are they? Oh, I think, what did I hear? I think they've won six, had a draw against eight top eight teams. So their problem was they couldn't beat the crap teams. Mm. They've done very good against the good teams, but they've done really poorly against the crap teams. So, yeah, there you go. Jeez, if only there was a play-in tournament. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> Please, no. How about yourself, mate? Well, it's funny you say that. I was going to say the same thing. That match and the Richmond GWS match was one that I would have liked to have seen, but just the weekend ran away from me. So, yeah. Not fair enough. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week belongs to the Everton Football Club and more specifically their marketing team and a very small part of their fan base. So in light of all the COVID dramas over in the UK, Everton's asked their fans to contribute names and photos of some of the supporters of Everton who passed away, including the message, today was all about you. Those reunited with us at Goodison, but sadly also those that couldn't be there who we have lost over the course of the pandemic, RIP Blues. That's a nice message. Yeah, really beautiful message. Unfortunately, someone decided to send in a photo of Anne Frank, the young Jewish girl who lost her life at the hands of the Nazis at Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in 1945. Mm. And even more unfortunately, no one picked up on this during the editing and it remained on the website for nearly seven hours before being removed. On top of that, there were some ridiculous fake names like Mike Oxmall yes. and fake news, things like that pretty poor form from low-life scum who would think that would be a good idea. I mean, obviously, it's disappointing that nobody recognised either of those. You know, one of the, if not the most well-known Jewish person of all time. Would you know what it is? It'd be marketing graduates who are 20 and have no knowledge of history, yeah, probably. Yeah. So, yeah, very, uh, very disappointing. So, for some pretty dark humour getting through and confusing a Holocaust victim for a pandemic victim, all I can say is, Blutigahala, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Stewie, time to talk about something that we haven't really talked about for quite some time now, the AFL. And boy, is it hotting up. And for a while there, it looked like it was going to be the race for ninth because a couple of teams at the bottom did not want to make the eight. But now the race for the eight has got quite interesting indeed. But before we get there, time for tips. Yeah, I'm excited about tips now. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm letting you Stephen Bradbury yourself yeah. <laughs> to a win. I'm not that shit, am I? <laughs> So I didn't have a 10, 10 lead on you or nine. You, you, you did, it was 10, yeah. Well, so, it was 10, wasn't yeah. it? You went back and checked. Yeah, so seven out of nine for me this week. I played it a little bit safe. Hawthorne and Frio would have been pretty big calls prior to their games. But yes, after trailing you by 10 going into the last game of round 15, all of a sudden, here we are. 
Going into round 23, and I have taken a one-tip lead. You have. We're still in the process of putting together this choke special, Nate, but uh, could you <laughs> could you feature as a part of it? Well, I, I did I did allude to that a few weeks ago when we talked about this. I've really got to stop doing my tips about half an hour before bounce down on a Friday afternoon. And, and then just actually, leaving them. <laughs> yeah, and actually look at team lists and look at injuries. and But I haven't tested this theory yet, but I'm pretty sure that my tips took a dive around when the NBA playoffs started and I started focusing my attention on other things. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the good news for you, round 23 is a toughie. At, it is. At least five games I can see that could easily go either way. A couple of other ones that are a bit iffy as well. And I've got about 100 on the margin on you. So if we oh, can yeah, tie, got, yeah. that will get me a win. You've got percentage, definitely. You'll win, though. You'll win. Oh, yeah, you will. power of negative thinking. Oh, you yeah. will win. Okay, fair enough. I have no faith in my tipping ability now. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> no. After such a good start. Um, oh, what a season. What a season. Now, I think we've got to start before we do get into the matches to talk about this Tex Walker stuff. And and I talked about it briefly in the prologue for one of the blokes banters. And I think I accidentally mentioned that he played. He wasn't actually playing in the Sandful game. He was in the crowd. There were kind of very new details at that stage. In fact, I think the news had just broken when I recorded that. So I didn't know a lot at the time. But, geez, it's not a good look for a captain of a club to be making racial epithets. And good on the Adelaide Crow staffer to dob him in, basically, because it would have been hard to do so, but they did the right thing. I mean, I would absolutely expect the same thing if that happened with Shannon Hearn, as I'm sure you would expect with Joey Kennedy, Luke Parker or Dane Rampey. Our trio of captains, yeah. This is something that there's no place for in the game. So, yeah, absolutely well done to the staffer. Look, six-match, $20,000 fine, it shit us. Yeah, I was it about to say, do, does the punishment fit the crime? I think that's a pretty clear answer. Well, all, all over social media, when this broke, was reference to, I think, a spider Peter Everett ban for a very similar thing. And he only got six weeks years and years ago. It was like 10, 15 years ago. Mm. So if punishments are going up for coward punches and stuff, why aren't they going up for this? The tribunal and the match review panel this season has been terrible. It was like they rushed to get the punishment out as quick as they possibly oh, could to say, oh, look at us, we've made our decision. Like we've, yeah. We're not standing for this. They're definitely on the naughty list this Christmas, Chewie. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, yeah. yeah. You, you have to feel like this is worth, I, I think 10 games and 50, I think is probably more. Oh, half a season minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And how was the hostage, I mean, apology video? Oh, yeah. How cringeworthy was that? Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah, the hand on the shoulder. Yeah, like, the whole thing felt like, so staged and weird. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I like, mean, we, yeah, we're not buying it. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it was bizarre. Rubbish. It, it just, yeah. And I've found some tweets from Heredia Lumumba. And seriously, Eddie, shut your fucking mouth about this stuff, really. Like, well, he has no, such a bad no, track no, record. No, shut his fucking mouth about everything. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but Heredia Lumumba had several tweets, so I'll just pick a couple here. So number two, Ari Walker, based on my on-field experience with him, this recent incident doesn't surprise me. Talk of him being well-educated on racism for 10 to 15 years proves just how broken the system is. Being educated on racism by the AFL is like being taught how to drive by a toddler. That's pretty damning. That is pretty damning. And then on Eddie Maguire, he said, Eddie Maguire's comments here were unsurprising. Of course, in Australia, someone who stands down from their job over decades of racism scandals can be paid to sit on national television and tell us what is or isn't appropriate response to racism. Mm. So the race for the eight, Stewie, has really heated up and there are, I believe, 10 teams that will be making up the final eight spots. I mean, 
Really? No, they won't be there's, making up. There's... I'm competing for. <laughs> anyway, you knew what I meant. So you've come up with 10 burning questions for each of those 10 teams. And I guess we'll probably at the end deduce which two we'll miss out to. <coughs> Fremantle and West Coast. Yeah, um, probably. We, yeah, we can deduce Maybe that. Maybe not at the top, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the WA team. So we'll work our way down the ladder. We'll start off with Melbourne, who are top of the ladder right now. So it's no secret that the last five weeks have been a bit of a roller coaster for the Demons, perhaps best summed up by that seesaw battle against the Eagles a fortnight ago. They had a draw against Hawthorne, a loss to the Bulldogs. How important is it, though, for them to beat Geelong this weekend going into the finals? Uh, I don't think it's that important, to be honest, personally. I think those top four teams particularly may be a little bit different for the Dogs because their form's pretty patchy. But they don't want to show their hands too much to those other top four teams because they could be playing them in a couple of weeks. So I think the coaches will be holding back a little bit in those games. So I think Melbourne are sitting prettier than probably at least two of the other top four. Porter in pretty good form. So I think the thing for Melbourne is to, to get out without injuries. I actually completely disagree with that. I think, in my opinion, this is practically everything for the Demons. Okay. So given there's actually no bye week, so they've officially moved the bye week to potentially yep. later in the finals. Yep. The Ds need to be going into the finals with a better feeling than they've got right now. They are they're struggling a little bit. They played some pretty good footy, uh, you know, over the weekend, but not their best. I mean, they they still struggled to to really push away from Adelaide. You know, another three or four minutes, and the Eagles probably ran over them the week before that. I think they know they're not playing their best footy right now, and and I think the belief with this side, they know that they're a good enough side to make the grand final but they haven't quite shown it yet for me. And so I think for them, belief going in and being able to sit down and say, we've just knocked off a big team. We know that we're good enough to, to compete with these guys on the top level. If they come in and get absolutely pantsed by Geelong, I think that could actually almost be the end of Melbourne. I wouldn't be surprised if Geelong rests a lot of blokes. It's possible. Oldest list in the competition, don't have a hell of a lot to play for. Tom Stewart's a big injury for them now too, on top of all their other injuries. I think there's a very good chance Melbourne win this game. Oh, look, I don't even without having to play at 100%. I, I don't doubt that for a second, but I just like it is super important that if Melbourne do lose, that they do not get pantsed. If they if they get smashed by Geelong, I honestly don't know if yeah. they, I, don't, I don't know if they recover from it really. Incidentally, seeing the Roos play the Swans on the weekend, I can totally see why the Roos let Ben Brown walk now because Nick Larkey is quite a good little prospect. One little thing I did want to just say about the Ds, though. Imagine how much better they would be if Clayton Oliver could kick a football. He's currently sitting at 70% disposal efficiency for the season, good for 424th. Wow, the really? Gee, okay. 424 out of... Five, He's a clearance machine, though. Out of 520. Yeah, yeah but... He's such a good player. It's, it's all... That, that is a surprising is thing, though. That's He's, a surprising He's a phenomenal player, gets a lot of the ball, but the efficiency yeah, okay. could be a lot better. Interesting. And I'll take it a step further. His goal kicking sits at 7 goals, 16 for the season, good for 324th Oh, yeah, league. he's not... Yeah, he's never been a goal kicker. 324th of the 355 guys that have kicked a goal this Yeah, year. right. Just marginally ahead of Nat Five. Well, there you go. So yeah, yeah. If For he, all his troubles, if yeah. he could kick a football, yeah. He, well, he's yeah. A, I he, think he'll poll very well in the Brownlow this year too. Yep. He's had a very good and season. He'd probably win it in a landslide if he could kick a ball. Yeah, me. interesting. So moving on to Geelong now. What worries me about the Cats is their opening quarters. I know you don't win any games in the first quarter, but you can sometimes lose them. Yeah, well, I think Freo won on the back of a very good first quarter on the weekend. Okay, I stand corrected. Yeah, yeah. 
But aside from the last couple of games, they've trailed by three goals at quarter time against the Saints and the Giants. In their last games against top eight sides, they kicked one goal against Essendon, no goals against Brisbane, one goal against the Bulldogs, one goal against Melbourne. A lot of really poor starts. Could one of these five goal to one first quarters derail the Cats in a final? Oh, absolutely it could. I mean, generally they'll be lower scoring, a bit more defensive. So you've got to make the most of your opportunities. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty... Da- I didn't realise that they were that bad in the starts lately. Mm. That, that's a pretty damning stat. Yeah. Look, they're an older, more mature side, so they're less likely to panic. All you've got to do is look at the Saints game over the weekend. Yes, the Saints kicked yes. the first five and then yep. they've run over the top of them. Yeah. But they've lost Tom Stewart for the season now. Huge defensive presence. and Really and a, important. And a lot of that drive out of defence as well. Yep. So, and yeah. they have a lot of guys banged up. Zach Tui's still out. There's some big names still out for them. And you could make the argument that a couple of their players were a little bit lucky to get away with not getting suspended over the weekend as well. So this this game, I've already spoken about it. This game over the weekend between Melbourne and Geelong, I, it could be an absolute fizzer, but I'm so frigging excited about this. It's very interesting, but I, I, I don't know. My gut tells me Geelong might rest, guys. We shall see. We shall. Time will tell. Now, Port Adelaide. Your favourite, Stewie. Not my favourite. No, <laughs> Singing their praises not, all year. No, no, look. So Port have won 10 of their last 12 games, which on paper looks absolutely amazing. Hard to argue with. Until you realise that in those 10 wins, the only top eight sides they've beaten are Sydney and GWS, who sit in sixth and seventh. Yeah, yep. Everyone else has been right down towards the bottom of the ladder. In fact, for the whole season, they haven't beaten a single team that currently sits higher than sixth. Are Port Adelaide just flat track bullies? I don't think they are, but that's a damning stat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think they are. They've had some pretty big names out. Rosie, Dersma, a lot of their guys that were injured are coming back. It feels like Port are coming good at the right time, actually. So I think based on those stats, you could definitely make that argument. But I think given that some of those big names have come back, I think Port are going into the finals in pretty good shape. I still want to see them beat someone. Yeah, and that's fair enough. That's completely fair enough. And they're going to get a great opportunity because they're playing a game over the weekend against... The team in fourth, the Western Bulldogs. Yep, and then they'll be in that either 2v3 or 1v4 in week one as well. Mm. So in the next two weeks, they'll play top 14. Yeah, we will learn a lot about the power over the next fortnight. We will. Speaking of the Western Bulldogs in fourth place, Hawthorne played one of the games of the season to hold the Dogs to just five goals over the weekend. One of the most worrying stats I'm seeing for the Dogs right now is the hitouts. The last four weeks, minus 40. Minus 21, minus 13, and minus 49. Yeah, that's huge. And they've lost the centre clearances in all four of those games comfortably. To win the Premiership, they're going to have to go through elite Ruckman, the likes of Axie Gorn, Oscar McInerney, Scott Lysette, even serviceable guys like Peter Laddams and Mark Blitzafs. Stefan Martin's not 100% right now, as we know. He's on the injured list. Can the Dogs be serious contenders getting smashed in the ruck like this? Well, and that's the thing. For all of the great intercept mark work that Tim English does, he's not a great tap ruckman. No. The Dogs are not in good form heading into the finals. They need this win more than anyone in the top four, I think. They need this win on the weekend, big time. You're worried if they drop to fifth that they're one and done? Well, it's possible. It is possible for all of the great work they've done this season. Josh Bruce is a big, a big out for them recently. You've mentioned Martin, but also Shaki, Toby McLean's out for the season. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they could. I don't think they will be one and done, but they are in danger. Yeah. I, I think the Josh Bruce one is the big one. That's huge. They clearly struggled over the weekend to kick a winning score. 
And so you kind of wonder where the goals are going to come from. And they're yeah, probably, you can't put it all on Aaron Norton. Well, no. So they're probably going to have to get a lot of their goals coming out of the midfield, which is, I mean, okay, they've got a lot of quality midfielders, but you can't be expecting Bontempelli to be kicking three or four goals a game. Ditto Liberatore, ditto all of these other guys. It's just they're not the sort of guys that are capable of doing this. So my big issue is if they are going to win this, they have to basically find a way of nullifying these centre clearances. They don't have to win them necessarily, but if they have to be a little bit more defensive around it, just not allow guys to pretty much walk it out of the centre square. Because the further back they're starting from, whether it's you know right back on the goal line or if it's at the 50 metre mark, it's, it's just it's hard for them to then be able to control the ball, possess the football and kick winning scores. So for me, they ha- like they have to play the games in the 70s without Josh Bruce. I can't see them outscoring teams in the 90s, the 100s, you know, those sorts of scores. Well, they, they certainly can't rely on Hugo Hagen. He's, he's too young in his career. Yeah. And hopefully he'll play and hopefully he'll go well. And he's an amazing talent. We all know that. But for his first finals run, they, they can't rely on him. Absolutely so, not. yeah, if I was a Dogs fan, I'd be a little bit worried. Mm. I would. After another pretty good season. Agreed. Yeah. Now we get into the bottom half of the top eight. So the Brisbane Lions currently sitting fifth. 33 all against Collingwood nearly halfway through the second quarter. Yeah, I kept my eye on this one during the swans Roos game and they just blew it apart. And they win by 85. Yeah, crazy. This was one of the craziest clinics I've seen in a long time. And look, Brisbane could be the scariest team in the top eight right now, the way they're playing. Six goals from Charlie Cameron on the night, 44 for the season. Is he the most important player to the Lions' chance at a premiership? Well, I've got a stat for you that says that Lockie Neal isn't. <laughs> How's this, Chewy? With Lockie Neal, the Lions are 7-7 seven and seven for 50% winning percentage. Without him, they're 7-0. and oh. Hey, Brisbane, put last year's Brownlow medalist in mothballs. Mm. He'll win the premiership. It's so weird, that isn't is, it? That is an interesting... I'd love to see who those seven wins are against when they played without him, but it's... Uh, yeah, that is, that is a very damning stat. With Hipwood out for the season, I do think their forwards, Cameron and Danaher, are the keys. Both have been fairly inconsistent. When they're on, they're on. They can win a game for you. And you need those sort of match winners come finals time. But if they both disappear in a game, the Lions be in a bit of trouble. So, yeah, they are, they're both really important players for me. Well, I've actually got a stat that possibly backs that up a little bit for you as well. When Cameron kicks three goals or more this season, the Brisbane Lions are 8-0. and Right. They have not lost. When he's held goalless, they're 0-3. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. So, and the other thing, they're also undefeated when he has at least 13 touches, 7 and 0. Wow. So, if he's involved in the game yep. and he doesn't kind of go missing, he is one of these guys that is electrifying. We saw it over the weekend, the six goals that he kicked. He was phenomenal. And Brisbane's such a weird case because a few weeks ago, they were looking like they were going to be one and done. Mm. And now, as you say, after a couple of weeks, they're looking like one of the form. Like, I cannot remember the last time the AFL season was this wide open. This has maybe been the most unpredictable finals in my lifetime. Can you think of a more unpredictable finals? I haven't really thought of one where we've got to this stage and potentially six sides, maybe seven sides could still win it. Yeah, yeah. It is legit. Yeah, it is fascinating. Oh, Just just quickly to go back to that for a second, though, I actually think Daniel McStay is the one that is probably almost as important. Yeah, McCluggage and McStay are both really important too. We yeah. Obviously, we know what we're going to get with the midfield. They are... One of the, if not the best midfield in the entire competition. Oh, ask the doggies. Well. They'd be up there. They'd, they'd be right yeah. up there. Probably top two or three. 
their ability to convert that into scoreboard pressure is huge. Now, they have done a great job this season in being a lot more accurate. Obviously, I spoke most of last season about how inaccurate the Brisbane Lions were, and they've certainly come around a lot this season. They're kicking really good scores. McStay's big, though. I mean, if he's clunking marks, he's kicking two or three goals every final there's every chance that Brisbane could march all the way to a premiership this season. The other thing for them is they don't have a hell of a lot of injury concerns other than the guys that are out for the season. Okay, they're gone. But yeah, it, they could be coming good at the right time too. Brizzy and Port. I am playing the long game on this theory though. I still think there's going to be a final where inaccuracy is either going to cost them or it's going to make a game a lot closer than Well, Danaher could easily kick one goal four or one goal five. He's capable of that just as he's yeah. capable of kicking five goals one. Yeah. You, you just don't know what you're going to get. Absolutely. Now, moving on to your Swans, absolutely superb season for the Swans thus far. They've exceeded expectations massively. They look like they maybe slightly hit a bit of a wall the last couple of weeks. Do you think the moment maybe gets to the Swans come finals time? And how big a loss is Nick Blakey on the verge of finals? Do I think the moment's got to them? No, I don't. I don't think there's any danger of that. I think if they lose, they'll lose to a better team, a more experienced team, a better team. So I don't think they're the sort of team that will be a deer in the headlights. Now, does that mean they can't get blown out? No, they could get blown out if another team brings a gun to a knife fight. Which is very unswans-like. They're not a team that gets blown out very often. No, no, not super often. They'll, they'll keep the game fairly close, most likely. Mm. So, so no, I'm not worried about that. If, if the Swans lose, they'll lose to a better team on the day. That's fine. I can live with that. Blakey is a huge out. Josh Kennedy is a really big one too. So Josh Kennedy's heart and soul of, of the Swannies does the blue collar work, does a lot of the stuff that people don't even realise. I, I think I'm pretty sure he holds the record for most 20 possession games in a row and it's a hell of a lot. They're both big outs. The good thing for the Swans is that Buddy, Callum Mills and Jake Lloyd come back this week. Lloyd! So although those are two really big guys and Blakey's really good off halfback, Jake Lloyd can play a similar role. So it is a big out, him lost for the season. But part of the reason why you say they've exceeded expectations, had a pretty good run with injuries. Mm. Injuries can make all the difference. That's also unusual for the Swans. Yeah, fairly, yeah. So You guys usually have a lot of big injuries. It, it, that St Kilda game's a real shame because they really could have climbed into the top four and got that double chance. It's a real shame they dropped that one. Played pretty well against the Roos on the weekend. The Roos showed a bit of fight at the yeah, end. Yeah, they've shown a lot. They have some season. good young players. They you really know, do. Zerha, Davies Uniac. Uh, Jaden Stevenson in the midfield now. You know, they, they, they have a decent and, young and team. And Larky, who you mentioned. Larky, before. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they are big outs, but they're not insurmountable. And with any luck, Joey Kennedy's hamstring's not too bad. From one Sydney side to the other, GWS Giants. Is there a team anyone is going to want to play less than GWS in an elimination final? Well, and it'll most likely be the Swans who will be playing them. I was just saying to my mate yesterday that I would rather play the Dogs, the Ds or Port than GWS. than GWS or yep. Essendon. Yep. Who will probably be, one of those two teams will probably be the Swans' opponents. They Both of those are red hot. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone wants to play GWS at the moment. And I think we were quick to rush on the window closing. So yeah, absolutely. Josh Kelly's just signed another eight-year deal. So, yeah, so the Giants are looking okay. But could even the most one-eyed GWS supporter have seen this coming? After all the players that left this side last season, surely not. It's unlikely. Yeah, it's unlikely. Mm. So I, I think what's making GWS so dangerous right now is how versatile they are. So Toby Green goes out. 
Tim Taranto bobs up and kicks four goals. Yeah, they're playing forward, yeah. Yep. You already mentioned Josh Kelly. He's one of the most elite midfielders in the game. And Shane Mumford's playing great footy. Yes. At, what, 35? Yeah. 34, 35? Well, there was a period where every game he played, they won this season. Well, that, uh, that streak might have even continued. I haven't kept tabs on it. but I've actually got that stat. Oh, you do? So they're 7-3 and three with a draw when he plays right. and 3-7 and seven when he doesn't. Yeah. Which is still not much worse than undefeated. I mean, he is... He does a great job of minimizing the damage. Okay, they're always going to get beat in the hitouts against these tall, high-flying ruckmen. But we know what Mummy does. We know he engages. He loves the body contact. He's a hard hitter. He works hard, yeah. He, he does. And, you know, they're going to play balls to the wall. They're going to play freely. They're going to take the game on. No one expected them to be in the top eight. They are as dangerous. I wouldn't actually be surprised if they won a couple of finals. Oh, they could win the premiership. They could be the Western Bulldogs of 2016. They could. They could. They absolutely could win the premiership. Yep. yep. Do I think they will? No, but they could. They absolutely could. Yeah. Their list is decent. So from one surprise packet to another, the Essendon Bombers sitting in eighth. Really amazing second half of the season for the Bombers. They were two and six after eight rounds. They held on against Fremantle. And all of a sudden, since round eight, they're eight and five. But aside from beating the Western Bulldogs two weeks ago, they don't have a single scalp against the top eight side for the season. Mm. Are they actually the real deal? Well, the other big thing with them is that McDonald, Tip and Woody is out indefinitely too. And that's a big out for them when they've already got guys like Mosquito injured. I think, no, I am scared of Essendon. I think they could do damage. I don't think they'll win the premiership, but they've got a great young team and they could easily win a final. Yeah, maybe two. So I'll give you both sides of this for me. The Bombers have a three-game win streak this season. Frio, North Melbourne and West Coast. Not exactly... No. The most not, am- not the most amazing. Yeah. They've got a couple of two-game win streaks, Adelaide, North Melbourne, and then the Bulldogs and the Suns. So again, aside from the Bulldogs, not really great stuff. But they've scored 80 or more points in five of their past six weeks. So they are putting up points on the board. The only other team to have done that is the Brisbane Lions. And they just they just feel like they're peaking at the right time too. Yep. Their pressure is amazing. You've got Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish, two of the top 15 guys in the league for pressure. The only other team that has at least two guys in the top 15, also the Brisbane Lions, they really take you out of your stuff. They don't allow you any, well, they don't allow you many cheap possessions or free possessions. They are always going to be coming at you. Their forwards are hungry. They're all, I mean, honestly, Jake Stringer. Oh, he's having a career year. All Australian. Yeah, probably. Quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably. Certainly. He's, He's possibly their most important player, you could argue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been huge. This is the thing, like the whole him being the X factor. It was almost a joke a few seasons ago, but he has reinvigorated. He's good in contract years. Well, (laughs) we'll put it this way. Put him on one year contracts every year and see see what you get. So no, he is a, yeah, he's such an important part to their team. But they, look, you're right. The Bombers and the Giants are probably the two scariest sides Outside of maybe Brisbane right now. And some of, some of the Bombers' losses have been quite close too. Like they had that absolute barn burner of a game against us a, a few weeks ago. 109, 102 or something. Yeah, yeah, with like 22 goals, three in the second half combined or whatever it was. So yeah, no, they're scary. Now from two very scary sides to... The also ran Two not so scary yeah. sides. Yeah. Ninth place, the West Coast Eagles. So obviously the Eagles have been rocked by a lot of soft tissue injuries and that's the risk when you have such a mature list. But this might be the most disappointing Eagles side of all time, given what we have on paper. The, that's not really a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a question for you, Stewie. Mm-hmm. Is the window still open? What do you do? 
I, th I think the Eagles management have a really, really difficult choice on their hands. Do you try and offload guys like Gaff to try and get something for them? You know, they, they haven't had first-round picks the last few years. They need some list regeneration. So do you just go, okay, look, we probably won't win in the next two years. We've got to blow it up a bit. Or do you go, oh, we'll give it one more year because our window might still be open because we do have a lot of good names. Are they just names? Now I'll, I'll take the first option, blow it up. Yeah. So for me, I would take whatever we can get for Andrew Gaff. I think he's lazy. I think his performance this season will look really great on paper. A lot of possessions, a lot of meters gained. I don't really rate what he does half the time. You probably wish that North got him with that massive offer Absolutely. That a few years ago, or last year, whenever it was. He runs so fucking hard when he's got the ball. As soon as that ball's turned over, he stops. He doesn't tackle. He doesn't chase. He puts no effort in when the ball's on the other side. I've got a really damning stat on the Eagles as a team. In Sharon Hearn's 300th, the first player in the history of the club to, to make 300, they laid 32 tackles in the whole match. Mm -hmm. The whole match. Mm -hmm. I saw the Swans lay five tackles in about a minute on the weekend. That's damning. Yeah, and, and as I was about to say as well, that doesn't just fall on Andrew Gaff. There's a lot of other guys. Dom Sheed has had a horrible season for the most part. He's another one that, again, runs really well when we've got the ball, but on the other side, doesn't tackle. Elliot Yo is the only one that I can say consistently when he's been on the park has tackled hard. Almost everyone else on that team, and I'll say this, Oscar Allen, since he signed that big contract, has been a non-factor. Is he getting the delivery though? Is it all him? He's not getting great delivery. It's hard when you're a forward to, you know. But again, before that deal was signed. He yeah, was, interesting. He, he, interesting. Was, he was making plays. He was going after the ball. He was leading up the field a lot more. Okay, admittedly, they've had to play him in the back line a little bit, but he's just not doing anything. So, yeah, there's. I think this might be the time to blow it up. I don't even know if you go as far as getting rid of the coach. Do we? Do we? Well, look, that's kind of the flavor of the month in Perth at the moment. Do, do you look at Adam Simpson as a as a potential casualty of this? I don't know if you do, but I definitely think it is time to start rebuilding. Not many years off a premiership, but they've been trending down. So since that premiership, I think I heard on AFL three hundred and sixty, Jared saying, I think since that premiership, they won a semi. Then they lost an elimination at home to Collingwood. And now this year, they'll almost certainly almost miss the finals. Certainly. It'll take a lot has to go their way. It'll, it'll and if they make the finals, they're not winning. Well, I mean, it's not a lot. Beat Brisbane and then either... Okay, that already is a which, pretty which, hard Which, yeah, task. okay. It's a bridge too a far already. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's only two results have to go our way. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah look, it's, I, it's unlikely. I think this is absolutely the, the last nail in the coffin. And I think it's time to blow it up. Absolutely. And I can tell you as a Spurs fan who probably held on... Maybe Maybe even two seasons too long. The sooner you blow up, the better, because you waste. You you just can't. You can't waste the good years of the younger guys by not blowing it up. Yep. And we'll close this out with Fremantle. So living in the West, as someone who is moderately unbiased, I say moderately because you are <laughs> dating a Fremantle supporter. Would you rather be a Fremantle or a West Coast supporter moving into next season? Oh, Freo! It's not even close. Freo have one of the best young lists in the competition. I think Freo, Swans, Gold Coast. Essendon, the teams with the best young players. So absolutely, I think the West Coast might be better next season, but as far as heading into next season and beyond, Freo have a much brighter future as far as the, as far as the young guys are concerned. Much brighter. West Coast aren't even guaranteed to finish above Freo this season. Well, that's right. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's every possibility. Yeah. Look, I agree entirely. I think Freo 
is is the way to go right now. The biggest if in this though is whether they can re-sign Adam Chera. But even if they don't, they still have a really good young core. Oh, absolutely. And Darcy in the ruck too. I mean, he's one of the best young ruckmen in the competition. Yeah. I'm certainly not saying that he's the be-all and end-all, but he's a very, very Oh, it's a key. Player. It's a key cog, definitely. But if they had to trade him, they'd get something decent for him. You, so, you would hope. Yeah. You would hope. So, yeah, obviously, if you can keep him in there, Mundy surely goes around again. He oh, is... absolutely. Well, he's already re-signed on a one-year deal. Good, yep. yeah. So, he's career best form. And, and by the way, again, if Mundy was in Victoria... He would be held in the same regard as Cochin, Pendlebury, those sort of blokes. Yep. He is such a good player. Yep. He just gets better with age. And by the way, on the weekend, past Pav as the all-time Frio games played holder. So it's almost a good thing that the Doc has played such a good first quarter for him. Yeah, well, they and, did. and held on. But and he so, might have tied Pav, actually. He might pass him this week. Yeah, tied, but either tied, way, it's yeah, yeah. Um, And the other thing to remember as well is Nat Fife's still only going to be 30. Yeah. So, yep. look, Frio... And Michael Walters has got some good years left in him too. You know, yeah. they didn't, he's, he's, had a, he's had he's a poor season. He's had a pretty season. lean season. He has, he has, but I wouldn't give up on him yet. No. Yeah. I honestly think Frio are basically one key forward away from really contending for the middle of the top eight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Because they've got to, if they're, if only their back line can stay on the paddock, that's the problem. They have yeah. a lot of good depth in the back line, but they all get injured. Yep. That is fair. But no, look, they're definitely trending up. And unfortunately, as much as it pains me to say, I would rather be a Freo supporter next year than oh, West yeah. Coast. It's, oh, it's, 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 that's a no-brainer. You're right. It's probably not even close. <sighs> and now, this week in sport history. August 18th, 1926, England regained the Ashes, winning the fifth test at the Oval by 289 runs to take the series 1-0 after a series of mainly short tests. The first four tests of the series were all three-day tests, including the first test, which only saw 17.2 overs bowled because... You know, English summers. Of course, none of them reached the fourth innings. The fifth, on the other hand, was a timeless test because the series was still on the line and the rest is history. August the 20th, 1945, and a record for 17-year-old Brooklyn Dodgers utility Tommy Brown. He becomes the youngest player in Major League Baseball history to hit a home run as part of Brooklyn's 11-1 route of the Pittsburgh Pirates at Ebbets Field. To this day, nearly 76 years later, it still remains the record, and no American will be breaking it anytime soon with the minimum of 18 years for a domestic player in the MLB. <laughs> However, the age for international remains at 17, so it could still be broken. August 21st, 1901, the Baltimore Orioles pitcher Joe McGinnity is suspended from the National League for life as a result of an altercation the previous day with umpire Tom Connolly. During the altercation, McGinnity spat tobacco juice into Connolly's face an incident which also saw McGinnity arrested. The funny thing, though, in the following days, McGinnity would apologise to Connolly for the incident and had his lifetime suspension reduced to 12 days. If only Ron Artest had apologised. Well, I was going to bring up Tex Walker, but yeah. <laughs> Extend it. August the 23rd, 2008. At the Beijing Olympics, Australian diver Matthew Mitchum wins the men's 10-metre platform gold medal with his final dive by achieving the highest score for an individual dive in the history of the Olympics at 112.1, thereby preventing China from winning every single diving event at the Games. Now, the crazy thing about this is that Mitchum had actually retired from diving two years earlier at the age of 18 and had no intention of returning to the sport. His coach had reached out to him by text to say that if he ever wanted to take it up again, he'd be there for him. And that text message made all the difference in Mitchum becoming a gold medal winner. I do have to say, I rewatched that dive today. Friggin' amazing. I, I remember it. I didn't remember it being the highest score. Yeah. It was just perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, that was a very proud country for that one. He's got ice in his veins. 
Also August 23rd, 2020 in very recent history, but history nonetheless, Donovan Mitchell's 51 points just out Jules Jamal Murray's 50 in a 129 to 127 Utah Jazz win to take a 3-1 lead in the best of seven series, a 3-1 lead the Jazz would ultimately blow. This was Mitchell's second 50-point game of the series after 57 in game one, and Murray would also drop 50 in game six. I could not hate myself more for not keeping these games on my fetch. Mm. One of the best series in a long time. Oh, th- this is up there with the Boston and Chicago series yep. from 2008, I think it was. One of the probably the top two or three playoff series we'll ever experience. Oh, so sad we got robbed of Jamal Murray this playoffs, mm. but hopefully next season he'll have a good one. This week in sport history. So it has been a little while now, but this is kind of our first chance to talk about the NBA draft, one of my favourite uh, sporting events in the calendar, along with the NCAA tournament. I devoured a lot of pre-draft coverage. I watched the first round. I must admit I haven't watched all of the second round yet. What do you think? I mean, it kind of went mostly the way you would expect. A couple of surprises, I guess, early in the first round. Scotty Barnes to Toronto, probably the big surprise. And I think a lot of people are surprised that Josh Giddy rose up to number six for the Thunder. A lot of people. But not you. No. I believe if we go back to, God, how many episodes ago? I've been saying since last year, I think there was a clear top five and he could go as high as, as six. Yeah. So well done, Nath. Pat, pat on the back. Thank you. Thank you. But like I say, it's one of, the, one of my favourite sporting events of the year. And that's why I thought he could go high. Because guys with things that you can't teach, guys with natural ability, basketball IQ, all those sorts of things. And curly hair. Are, are really draftable. It makes him really draftable. So yeah, fantastic. Before we get on to him though, let's talk about the top five quickly. But also... I was so disappointed to see Kendrick Perkins was on the coverage. <laughs> Why is ESPN rolling him out for everything? He's fucking terrible. He's terrible. He's like a worse version of Shaq. Oh, and do you know the other thing? Lafonso Ellis hosts college game day. He is also another former player. He played like at least 12, 13 seasons, maybe more. Why wasn't he on the coverage instead of Perkins? Mm. Yeah, that was a bit disappointing. Although with that being said, he was a little bit better than I expected, and he was less xenophobic than he tends to be. Well, that's good, then. So he actually had some nice words to say about the international <laughs> players. Whew. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, the, the top five, all, all five of those players look really good. All the buzz was any of these guys could be a number one pick any other year. And always when you watch the draft, if, if you don't know a lot about the players, often, it, oh, yeah, they do. They all look like amazing players, and they can't all end up being amazing players. I've got a stat on this. So Tom Haberstroh on the Dan Lebertard show said, a funny thing's happened over the last decade. There's virtually no difference between picking 2nd, 4th, 11th or 15th. The value curve is essentially flat. That definitely wasn't the case back in the 90s when each group of five picks tended to yield better players than the next group of five. So it has become a bit of a crapshoot, but these top five guys all look like the real deal. Yeah, you don't get a draft class like this every year. Definitely not. I mean, I heard Bill Simmons say there were three clear number one draft picks in this draft, which, again, that doesn't happen. Aside from, I guess, the what, the LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade. Taco Oh, yeah. Well, maybe not Darko, but... (laughs) But even Chris Bosch, I mean, he would be... A oh, yeah. Pretty, I loved Bosch out of college. Pretty, Georgia Tech. He was on a great Georgia Tech yeah, team. Yeah, would yeah. have been a worthy number one draft pick in most seasons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. Cade Cunningham, absolute no-brainer at number one. I, To be honest, I'm actually pissed off that the OKC Thunder didn't try and trade up to get him. They should have. With all the picks they have, they should have traded into the top five, probably. But... He's said all the right things about how he wants to be in Detroit and Detroit wants him to be in Detroit, which is the important thing. So maybe maybe we did throw the entire war chest at him and 
No, not enough. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, the thing I like about Cunningham is he seems to be really mature. He seems to be a good character guy. Yeah. So they're the players you want on your team when you're rebuilding. Yeah, he he is potentially maybe not quite this good, but he could be one of those once in a generation sort of guys. You just never know. Yeah, no. That, yeah. Like that's his ceiling. For yeah, oh, I think all five of the top five are in that boat. Mm. Definitely, potentially. So Jalen Green at number two, from all accounts, he could actually end up being the most talented player in the draft as well. The other thing I've heard about him is that he works really hard and he'll make you play in practice. So, so that's a good thing to have on your team too. Which, yeah. look, that's something that Kobe Bryant had. And there are some similarities. He's super bouncy like Kobe was. Look, is he going to be that good a player? I'm not sure, obviously. But there's talk that he may not be amazing in the first season, but he will get better. Well, he's out of the G League. So. Kind of like what Kobe did. So. Yeah. No, he, he's got all the tools. Absolutely. This was 100% the right choice by the Houston Rockets. I don't blame them for going for him. The other option in the top three was probably going to be Evan Mobley, who... A lot of people think was the best player in the draft. But Houston don't need bigs. No. So I, I think this was absolutely the right choice for them picking Jalen Green. Mobley, as we said, went number three to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Who also have a lot of bigs, but they had to make this pick. Well, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that later on. But They did have to make yeah. this pick. Look, Mobley, elite two-way big man, arguably the best big in the draft. In fact, probably not even arguably. No, I don't think so. Some of his accolades, player of the year, defensive player of the year, rookie of the year in the Pac-12, nearly three blocks a game, range out to the three-point line. He's mobile for his size. Like He could be another Chris Bosch type, I think. Yeah, there was Bosch and DeAndre Ayton were the two names I saw kind of being thrown out there. Yeah, he seems a bit more Bosch-like to me than Ayton. Ayton's a bit more of a banger. He's a little bit more finesse, I think. At the moment, probably more Bosch in terms of the body size as yeah, well. He's, yep. he's quite thin. thin but yeah, yep. the, And the good thing is all the things that he doesn't do particularly well, you're talking about passing and ball handling, they're not super important for a big guy. No, you can get away with them and you can hopefully develop them. Yeah. Scotty Barnes at number four to Toronto. As I mentioned, second year in a row, there's been a little bit of a surprise at pick four. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that though because David Thorpe on the Chad Ford pre-draft, one of the episodes of that, he, had him, he thinks he should have been number two. Wow. That he was that high on him. Yeah. Another guy who's great in practice, has a really good attitude, and is being compared to Draymond Green, which is a very good type of player to have. I did so, see that, yeah. yeah. I mean, his numbers don't really jump off the page at you, which I found interesting, but I think what's great about him, so he's he's a six foot nine guy, kind of plays like the, the point forward yeah, the position. Yeah, that Draymond kind of player. Yeah, seven two wingspan though, so he's a little bit longer. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you can almost, almost hear Jay Billis. <laughs> wingspan. Oh, there were, I tell you what, if you were playing the Jay Billis wingspan drinking game, you would not have got drunk at this draft. No? Oh, hardly at all. Oh, a lot of, a lot well, of, in the first round. I haven't seen all the second round. A lot of T-Rex guys are sure. I, well, I think it's got to the point where he now tries to avoid saying Yeah, it. this is probably true. Yeah. But yeah, you have to sort of say with Toronto, they've kind of got a lot of those guys. If you look at Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, they've got a lot of these long guys. They're kind of versatile. They can switch. That they makes their defense a little bit more, uh, yeah, a bit, bit more difficult to get through. What I like about him though is he, he seems like he's got a really high IQ. He's really patient as well. He makes good reads off the bounce. So I, I think he's going to be one of these guys that could potentially become one of these like six foot nine point guards. Toronto just, I don't know, they're not, they're not going to contend for a championship, but they're going to be fun to watch. Well, and again, we're in this era of positionless basketball yeah so teams want these sort of guys that can play make they can pass they can dribble helps that he plays d great pick and he's going to create mismatches yeah everywhere yep. so now Jalen suggs dropping to orlando at five that was a little bit of a shock for me oh that was orlando one of the winners of the draft yeah 
getting Wagner as well. So huge, huge. <laughs> I love Jalen Suggs. Saw a lot of him in the tournament. I can't unsee that block and then pass that he threw in the semifinal. And, of course, that was the game where he hit the big game winner too. But blocked a guy bigger than him, threw the perfect bounce pass. I love this kid. He's phenomenal. I did see one particular play that stood out to me, funnily enough, a block as well. Two on one fast break, 30 seconds left in a tied ball game. He reacts so quickly when the bounce pass is made, turns around and blocks a guy who's probably three or four inches taller than him trying to throw one down, and then turns around and basically saves the game. So, yeah, I think Orlando absolutely were the winners. Getting Jalen Suggs at five, that is huge. Yeah. And Wagner as well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he plays D as well. And Wagner is the better of the two brothers. Oh, well. big time. Yeah, but yeah, But they've yeah. got Mo as well. So yeah, yeah, they've yeah. They've got the, yeah. <laughs> have the, uh, the, the twin Wagners. Yeah, yep. And obviously, yeah, we do have to talk about Josh Giddy. Look, a little bit of a surprising move. I'm not disappointed at all. I think he pairs up well with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I said that last week. Yep. A lot of the stuff that I'm hearing on a lot of the podcasts is they're talking about how he could potentially be the biggest chance of being a bust. So he doesn't necessarily shoot the ball amazing, doesn't have NBA athleticism, might not be the greatest defender there. Do you know who that reminds me of? Jason Kidd. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Coming, okay. Out of, coming out of California the one thing that Jason Kidd could do really well was run an offense and throw great passes. He had a high IQ and he was this great playmaker. That's what Giddy is. I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer like Jason Kidd is, but he definitely has the capabilities of being a top quality player. I've always struggled to find an American comparison, but I think I've thought of one. And then let's hope he has a better career than this guy. He won't have as good a career as Kidd. Hopefully, probably somewhere in the middle. Sean Livingston. Okay. About the same height, pure point guard, playmaker, not super athletic, Liv- but not Livingston shit. Livingston before the injuries was very athletic. In yeah, the, okay, in, yeah. In the LA yeah. Clippers days, he, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. bouncy. But... Yeah. So look, his career averages aren't anything to write home about. But he did have a lengthy career. He played for several, I think like nine teams, a fair few teams. So he's a bit of a journeyman. But he has some of those skill sets. Hopefully he'll be a better player. I'll admit, I kind of wanted him to land on Golden State because I thought that would be maybe a better... He's not heading into a rebuild. But heading into a rebuild, he'll get plenty of opportunity. And I think he could be a nice pairing with Gilgis Alexander. And yeah, I'm a big fan. I've sung his praises many times before. I have all the reason to believe he'll have a very good NBA career. Just one other thing quickly. Giddy was the first player from the Basketball Australia's NBA Global Academy to be drafted. So that's, that's great news for that program, which is hopefully going to keep kicking goals. Yeah, huge moment for the Australian League. So, Nathan, we've spoken about the Thunder. What about the Spurs? Oh, yeah. Josh Primo. I think the Spurs didn't realise that they didn't have to pick a guy that looked like his age was the number of the pick. Have you seen the photo of this guy? He looks 12. He's wearing nappies in the he picture. Looks that 12. I saw. <laughs> he looks 12. I initially hated the pick. There were so many guys that I really liked that I wanted them to get instead of his. Shingun, for example, the big man out of Turkey. Trey Mann and Kai Jones, a couple of other guys I had my eye on. I've warmed to the pick a little bit. Clearly, the Spurs are going to blow it up. Start from scratch. So I guess get a young guy. He was If he'd come out next year, he would have been quite a high pick from all accounts. Apparently, the Thunder were looking at him, actually, and that spooked the Spurs a little bit, which is partly why I think they picked him. Yeah, we got Trey Mann, though. Yeah, I still think they could have traded down. So, yeah, I have warmed to it a little bit, but, yeah. The Spurs did sign Jock Landau, though, which keeps that Australian connection going in San Antonio, which is really good. 
Paddy Mills, unfortunately, has left after a wonderful oh, nearly decade with the team. He's gone to the Brooklyn Nets. And look, quite frankly, I can't blame him for going there. Nah, to get a two-year, $12 million deal there and have a very good chance at winning a championship, can't blame him. They've re-signed Kevin Durant. They've re-signed Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin as well. They've managed to, I guess, upgrade a little bit. So Mills is probably an upgrade on Landry Shamit for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. And James Johnson's a slightly tougher version of Jeff Green. They didn't have Spencer Dinwiddie all last season anyway, so his departure probably doesn't hurt him too much. They'd almost have to go in as favourites. If they can stay healthy, yeah, that's the big if. If Harden stays healthy and Irving, then, yeah, it's kind of hard to really look at other teams. Maybe a couple other teams might be in with a chance. But, yeah, it's, it's Brooklyn's to lose at this stage. Moving on to the LA Lakers, and the draft's not a big thing. The the big thing is their trade for Russell Westbrook, of course. But given that trade, I saw a great tweet from Flea, the bass player from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, born in Australia, by the way. He he is a massive Lakers fan. He's always at their Yeah, well, I mean, he's lived there for many, many years, and he has an American accent now. I saw them play here a few years ago. If the Lakers would have kept KCP, we'd have a monk, a nun, and a pope. (laughs) Great tweet from the Flea. (laughs) That is quality. But no, he was involved in the deal for Russell Westbrook. What do you reckon? This is the thing. Everyone is is poo-pooing and bad-mouthing this trade. I don't think it's such a bad trade for the Lakers. And I'll tell you why. Russ is from Long Beach, for starters. So this is like 25 minutes down the road from the Stable Centre. He's going to be all in on this because he's a local boy. They were 8-10 and 10 last year without LeBron and Anthony Davis, 12-15 and 15 with just LeBron. LeBron will need rest next season. Anthony Davis will probably get injured because he's made of glass. Yep. Westbrook will run through a wall for this team and he will keep playing. So he's one of these guys that he's used to playing on teams that don't have a huge amount of talent. So if you're talking about AD and LeBron sitting down, he'll just treat it like he did the OKC team just after Durant left. Just average a triple-double and kind of run him through that. We know he's not a high IQ guy. We get that. Yeah, come playoff time, that's huge. And and that's obviously the big if for The decision-making. But playing with LeBron's going to help that, surely. Like, it has to. Well, there's only one ball to go around, though. They both like having the ball in their head. Yeah, but Westbrook likes assists as well. This is the other yeah. thing. So he's, he's going to want to throw it into AD and want to throw lobs to LeBron. Like, yeah. Look, I'm not saying that they're going to win a championship, but I don't think this is as bad as they're making out to be. I mean, who did they lose? They lost Kyle Kuzma, who was shit last year. Montrez Harrell, who was shit last year, KCP, who was shit last year, and a 2021 first-round pick, which was probably shit last year as well. And Dennis Schroeder, because he got greedy. Well, that's a whole other ball. We'll talk about that in a minute. But but if, if you look at who they gave up, like they really aren't actually losing that much. I think they should have tried to get Bradley Beal. Well, he yeah, would have been a much better fit when there, you're talking about the Wizards. There are options that they could have looked at as well. But, but also, they nearly made a trade for Buddy Heald and they could have kept some of the parts that were in the Westbrook trade. And Buddy Heald would have fit that team much better as a three-point shooter. So I think they should have made the Heald deal. I agree with you. I don't think it's as doom and gloom as some people are making out with Russ. But I do think come playoff time, I, I just... I don't know. I don't know. All right, but let's look at some of the shooters that they've surrounded these guys with. So Carmelo Anthony, okay, admittedly, he's a screen door on defense. We've spoken about this as many times, but he had a good year shooting the ball for Portland. Kendrick Nunn, he's a shooter. Yep. Malik Monk shot 40% last year from three. Trevor Ariza and Kent Bazemore, they can stand in a corner and knock down threes. So it's a very old team. Absolutely. They all- a lot would have to break right for them, but if it did break right for them, who knows? They yeah. could win a championship. They are, absolutely, they are all in. Yeah. But they, they've got enough good players 
albeit guys in their 30s, to do this. It's just, yeah, do I think they're going to win it? No. But <laughs> you've still got to give any team with LeBron a chance, as long as they're healthy. Did you see, though, that LeBron threw a going-away party for Kyle Kuzma? No, <laughs> I did not. How fucking savage is that? <laughs> there's, there's actually a photo. Oh, well, it's nice, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> Enjoy Washington, champ. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll get more opportunity. And that's because you can't make a wide open jumper. Yeah, well. So a couple of other teams. I think Miami's probably the other big contender. Yeah, recently Jimmy about. Butler got uh, Oladipo for nothing. Less than nothing. Yeah. Two, $2.3 They got PJ Tucker for $7 million a year. Very useful pickup. From Milwaukee. Yeah, played very well in the finals. They got Markeith Morris on a pretty decent deal as well. Obviously, they get Kyle Lowry across from Toronto. So they've got a bunch of these real grit and grind guys. Yeah, yeah. No, they'll they'll be right up there. You, right up can there. you imagine adding Bam Adebayo to those four? So Adebayo, Butler, Lowry, Tucker, and Morris. With Robinson shooting threes and... And Tyler Hero Tyler as well. Hero had a bit of a sophomore slump, but he's young and good. Yeah. You're not getting layups on this team. No, it's it's a good team. Yeah. It's a I, very good team. I think. Do you think they push for, for the top seed? Or is it still Brooklyn and Milwaukee's to lose? Uh, well, oh, look, Brooklyn, I don't think Brooklyn feel they need the top seed. Kyrie is going to go MIA every now and then and all sorts of weird shit will happen in Brooklyn probably. So, yeah, they could. They could. Jimmy Butler's the sort of guy that wants to win every single game regardless. So, yeah, they could. They could. And probably the biggest news actually out of Miami, Udonis Haslam signed on for his yes, 100, back. 145th season That's right. on a one-year deal. Good That's on you. Right. Good on you, Udonis. Good on you, Udonis. I remember watching you play for the Florida Gators as an overweight guy with a massive-ass beard. He looks completely different. God, how old were we then? Like seven? Yeah, well, it's a long time ago. Yeah, it was mine. So the Warriors, I found their draft picks a bit interesting, but I wonder if they're going to be used in trade packages because they're certainly not win-now guys. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Kaminga is a pretty mouth-watering prospect in some ways. But I just don't know if he's the right fit for a team that wants to win now. So what I see in the highlights of Kaminga, and admittedly I haven't seen full games, I know that his shot selection's a bit iffy, but some of the drives that I've seen him complete remind me of Paul George. Some of his moves inside remind me of Kevin Garnett. Like, yeah, I actually was surprised the Thunder didn't take a flyer on him considering the length, of, rebuilding. The length of the rebuild. Yeah, But yeah, putting him and Wiseman on the same team, it kind of... I'm not sure. I think one of them might be getting shipped out. So we'll see how that all goes. Moody was the other one too. Not necessarily a win now guy. So yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe even two of those three could be traded. There was talk the Warriors were thinking about drafting Moody at seven. Right, right. But when Kaminga fell to seven, they thought, no, we've got to take him with that. Like It's, it's fascinating. I think the thing that really stands out to me though is how well the Warriors did picking up quality role players on veteran minimum contracts. So they got Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bialica, and Andre Iguodala for less than $3 million a piece. Mm. Some really, really good pieces. They're still in the Ben Simmons sweepstake as well. So Yeah, I, yeah. Ben wants to go there. I can't see how it will happen. By the way, it turns out that Ben was sending the Boomers well wishes and stuff. He was apparently staying in contact with the Boomers. So maybe it wasn't as bad as what the media have portrayed. God, it never is. But, but and, and by the way, on Kaminga, apparently he's a really bad chemistry guy, a bad locker room presence. So that's the knock on him. But I know he wants to go to Golden State. I can't see it happening. I just can't see it happening. Hmm. They, they can't have both Draymond Green and Ben Simmons on the same team. So that Draymond Green and Kevon Looney. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but Kevon Looney wasn't a max player. 
You know what no, I mean? No, I know. Like, I, I, yeah, I, unless Draymond's involved in a trade, I can't see Ben Simmons going there. I can't see it. I actually think the Spurs could overspend for him. Apparently, Pop loves Ben Simmons. I mean, you may as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, look, I, th- I think Golden State, if Clay Thompson comes back and is 85% of what he was before the injury, even 80%, you've got to see them pushing for the sixth seed. They're a candidate for a big mid-season trade, I reckon. Th- they could well be. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they might dangle one or two of those young guys. They may guys. dangle Clay Thompson. Uh, I think they'd want to keep him for a championship tilt. I reckon they'll dangle the young guys, the recent draftees. Depends what they can get. Well, true, true. So we, we shall Time see. Will we shall see. The other spur leaving, of course, was DeMar DeRozan. He's gone to the Chicago Bulls. Apparently, he was wanting to play for a championship. That certainly won't be happening in Chicago. But they're building OKC. Okay they got Avery Bradley <laughs> and Alex Caruso and Lonzo, Lonzo Ball. Ball. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're all good pieces, but they're not they're not going to win a championship with those pieces. Oh, I thought you said a play-in game. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's an interesting one. Still no word on Laurie Market and Denzel Valentine or Ryan Archie Diakono. I mean, what do you think about the DeRozan trade? So the Spurs get Thaddeus Young, Al Farouk Aminu, and two second rounders. Obviously. That's a salary dump. Absolutely a salary dump. So yeah. you're, you're happy with that? Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. This is the modern NBA. Fair enough. We got nothing for Lamarck Soldridge. So, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, Thaddeus Young might be a sort of guy that a veteran team might try and trade for. We might be able to get another pick out of him. It is what it is. Just it, it was time to move on. I, I really enjoyed watching DeMar play. He's a consummate professional. I actually built a lot of respect for him. I already liked him when he came to the team, but I liked him more having seen him in Spurs colours. But it was time for him. It was time to move on the veteran. Rudy Gay gone as well, of course. Time to rebuild. Blow it up. Does this put the Bulls ahead of any of the top six teams? Absolutely not. No? no? Okay. No, cool. I don't think so. So they're pushing top eight, basically, if they're healthy. So you, sp- you spoke about Bill Simmons previously. He actually floated a really interesting one of Zach Levine for Ben Simmons. Yeah, I don't think that's a good trade for the Bulls. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look, you've got to explore every one of them. I, I don't think I'd make that trade. If yeah, the well, Bulls. given their recent pickups, though, he might fit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think Zach Levine's going to have an all-star season. He probably will have a very good season. He probably will. He probably will. Now, you alluded to this in previous recordings, Shui. The Knicks. Some weird shit going on there. $20 million a year for Evan Fournier. Yeah. He had that one good Olympics game, but that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. Three years, $43 million for Derek Rose. It's a lot of money. It is. He played well. He's a Tibbs guy. I don't hate that as much, but yeah, he's over the hill. The, the two that I really hate, though, three years, $32 million for Nerlens Noel. Yeah. And three years, $30 million for Alec Burks. Yeah. You could get them on less than half of that, I reckon. Yeah. I, I don't know what the fuck the Knicks are doing. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I think you and I could pick up eight to $10 million a year. Kemba, Kemba Walker saved their offseason a little bit. Because they, they spend a lot of money on guys that probably don't move the needle ahead of them. They've probably locked themselves into mediocrity. Well, they're going to be miles over the luxury yep. cap. And yeah, you're right. Are they going to be as good as this year? I don't know. Probably not. I think if anything, they go back. They could. It's so, very possible they could. So yeah, they're probably the biggest head scratcher out of them. There's a few other head scratcher sort of ones. Now, admittedly, I know the Spurs had to give money to someone, but $14 million a year for Doug McDermott? Yeah. Oh, look, I think you hit the nail on the head. You've got to spend the money on someone. Why not get a good veteran guy that shoots the three? Surely there's better guys you can throw that money at. Well, this is the thing, though. Free agency moves so quickly, there weren't better guys. 
free agency, it's it's almost done in two days. And all the good players went to good teams. The Spurs are not a good team now. So right. I'll throw out three more head scratches then. Three years, $38 million for Kelly Olenek in Detroit. Yeah, I, I guess it's the big man money. That's all I can think of. All right. Well, this one's not a big man. Three year, $31 million contract for Taylor Horton Tucker. Some people have said he could be a max guy one day. He's shown glimmers. He has shown glimmers, but that's that's a lot of money. He could yeah. be Vernon Maxwell. That's the that's as close to a max. I guy. loved Mighty Max. Yeah, but he's not a max guy. No, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the one this is probably the biggest one for me though. Five years, a hundred million dollars for Jarrett Allen in Cleveland, and then they go out and draft Evan Mobley. You're not going to be. Well, they drafted him. Mobley first. The draft happened before free agency. Oh, of course. So that's, that's what even, makes it even weirder. It's even worse. Yeah, yeah. So good job, Cleveland. Well, yeah, that that is a bit odd. Again, though, he might be a trade piece. I mean, he's young. He is a very good big man. Mm. He might be a trade piece. So the funny thing, Dennis Schroeder did get a deal in the end. It wasn't quite the massive deal that he knocked back from the Lakers, but he's gone to their arch rival, the Celtics, on a one-year deal. Yeah, why take four years and $84 million when you can get 5.9 for one? Was it 84? I thought it was even more than that at one point. That was pretty hideous. It doesn't look good. And then you look at Victor Oladipo and probably feel slightly better about himself. So he's actually turned down a two-year $45 million extension with Houston in February. And he also turned down an $80 million extension with Indiana prior to all of this. So a one-year veterans minimum for Miami this year, it's not great. No. Ouch. All right, sure. You know what that music means. What do you have for? Absolutely no surprise for me. Top of the table crackers this week. Melbourne and Geelong in the one versus two and Port Adelaide versus the Bulldogs in the three versus four. Should be a great weekend of footy. Oh, yeah. Aside from that, the final of the men's 100 at Lords between TBC and TBC might or might not be a great match in a shit format of cricket. Oh, a shit format. All right, screw the 100. How about yourself, mate? Absolutely, yep, the footy. I wouldn't be surprised if everything we've talked about today goes out the window and all our thoughts change once again and the form lines change. Hopefully there's no big injuries. Can't wait for next week. Until then, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.